0: Why is that your favorite number, Doc? Is there something you want to tell
1: us? <laughs> what? Oh, what are moving going on? Because we're live. Yeah. I'm a single hey. woman with no life. Hence why I'm always here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our, our
0: benefit then. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we have two guests we'd like to introduce you to today. We're going to start with Mr. Jim Curtis. Can you introduce yourself to our listening audience?
2: Good evening, afternoon, whatever the hell it is. Uh, I write under J.L. Curtis, I'm an over-retired Navy Mustang, uh, naval flight officer, and uh, I've got a few stories. All right. And next we
0: have Mr. Lawdog, which is the most unique name we've had come on this show. Uh, yes. I presume you
3: actually publish under that, correct? I do. I publish under Lawdog. I am a recently retired you- Texas peace officer, uh, 80s-era uh, U.S. military and um, didn't set foot for longer than a month in the States until I was 16. Interesting. Where were you when you weren't in the States? Um, West Africa, Southeast Africa, Northwest Africa, and points in between. I'm noticing a theme here, though. What's that? I am. I'm Africa. I'm picking up with you laying down. Yes. <laughs> um, in the 70s, my father was an oil engineer. and ah. He went That'll
1: where he was. That'll okay. do it. I'm surprised he didn't make it into Saudi Arabia.
3: Um, he hated Saudi. So,
1: Arabia that's understandable. So they don't allow booze.
3: That would be
0: problematic for me. So, <laughs> when you said that you were a peace officer, does that mean you were like a Texas Ranger? Because I think I saw that movie. <laughs> no, deputy sheriff. Sure.
3: Rangers, whole different. You could have on. said yes. That would have been cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we could have had an entirely new ra- kind of ranger on the show which would have driven nick crazy for not being here
0: <laughs> that would have actually been you know we ought to find one of those that writes just for that reason oh uh, we know what yeah. uh, all right so leg lives matter that's right they do so why did you pick law dog as your name instead of just a generic moniker i get you have to protect your identity because you're a law enforcement career but why go for that as opposed to i don't know a small or something
3: at the t- I, wasn't, I wasn't a writer at the time at the time i was a moderator for the firing line and later the high road and okay. i uh i moderated under law dog because you know it's better than you know noob owner 69 and my first stories, <laughs> my first stories came out of the uh, stories i told on those uh, forums And when I finally got around to publishing them, I realized that nobody in the Internet knew who I was other than the law dog. And if I were to try publishing them under my real name, I wouldn't get it. Nobody would read them.
1: I can understand that.
2: Okay. And you were the eighth person off the high road and the firing line to be a published author. That sounds about right. Yeah. So what is the High Road and
0: the
3: Firing Line? What are those? That oh, was a
2: gun forum back in the 90s.
3: 90s and early 80s. Uh, the, uh, the Firing Line was the first one and it was the one of the finest well-moderated uh, bulletin boards uh, out there for guns.
2: And we, he's patting himself on the back for that one. Which
3: is, I, had the legal, <laughs> I had the Legal and Political Board. That was bloody awful. <laughs> and uh, the owner was very, very, very clear about there would be no shenanigans, and we were kind of ruthless about it.
2: Yeah. I was also on it under Old NFO, uh, a few other folks that were members.
3: Larry Correa. Larry
2: Correa. Correa
3: 45. I was going to ask about that.
2: When Larry was in
3: college.
1: Yes. I think oh. I remember James Cochran talking about it a couple mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a member named Nightcrawler who turned out to be
3: Matt Cooper. Yeah.
1: It was internet and guns, so of course James had to be there. Yeah,
3: uh, Peter Grant was on it. The preacher, he was the preacher man, and cornered rat was Oleg Folk. Yep,
1: well, there you go, guys. And, uh, <laughs>
0: I just won't tell you what I was doing in the 90s, and we'll move on.
1: I won't tell you because I'd get yelled at. Actually, I actually, well, I can tell you what I was doing in the 90s. I was reading Anne McCaffrey. David Weber, Mercedes Lackey, Anne Wright, uh, Elizabeth Ann Scarborough, Elizabeth Moon. I mean that works.
0: I was mostly dodging detention and trying to get with the girls, but high school and elementary school do that to you in the
3: nineties. So, <laughs> wow. Um, you I'm just going to get the facts all about Walter.
2: Hey, I'm the only <laughs> one here. Both of you, all of you, shut up. Well, I can. I'm, I'm
0: old enough. I can. Right, I was about to say, I'm old enough. I can shake my fist at the sky and yell at the kids to get off my lawn. So I've, I've, I've succumbed. I've come. I don't know. Whatever. All right. So the second part of the introduction, dear listener is the how we first found them and so uh we've this is the second interview we've done from the can't go home again anthology so like the last time if you want the more full answer listen to the first interview too but uh, i first heard of this anthology from chris Denote, who i met through the galaxy's edge fan club and the rest as they say is history but it sounds like uh doc you have history with these people so can you tell us how you found jim curtis and
1: law dog well, you see, up in uh, Chattanooga, there's this beautiful bar, I mean, convention called Liberty Con. And, um, and that is where I met these gentlemen. So, but, you know, JR, I understand we redirected them, but just in case you either listened or you don't want to go, there, the central theme of Can't Go Home is very important and near and dear to, I think, many of our listeners, yes. but definitely everybody here,
4: yes, because-
1: the central theme of can't go home is that it is stories of hope of dealing with PTSD. Yes. And that is a huge killer among veterans. Veterans. And it's not just the killing the veterans, but it's also killing some of their lifestyle as well as other people. You don't have to be a vet to have PTSD and identify with these stories. Um, Congress are, are getting it bad. Yeah. First responders, people who have been in life-changing in a negative way, circumstances can all identify with these stories, and so, and many of the proceeds, several of the authors in this have de- have committed to donating their proceeds of their portion of the royalties to the Mission Twenty Two anthology, which is specifically to help vets with PTSD and suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. So I know think jim curtis is one christopher denote and christopher said he'd match out of his own personal funds whatever was raised by selling the book well done yeah wow. if it made number one on amazon and it did yes, but it did. this one is also available wide it's not just through amazon guys yeah so and um, we know I-
0: that doc has her love affair with bezos the I do not have a love brain affair brain. with
1: Bezos. I haven't divorced him yet, but I do have a love affair with Barnes and Noble. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, all right. Well, we were going to get to that when we introduced the book, but before we do that, Doc, we got to introduce the guests. See, we've got a structure. We got to get to know the guests, get to know them as nerds, then as writers. Then we talk oh, about I'm the. Oh, I'm sorry. My <laughs> my
1: my mommy juice uh, derailed my structure. You were
0: just a little premature. It happens to all of us as we get older.
1: As women, we don't call it premature; we just call it multiple times.
0: All right, moving on. So, ask them the religion question, and if they sound familiar, it's because we're going to ask all of the ones from this anthology the same set.
1: Ender's Game, Edge of Tomorrow, or Starship Troopers? Pick one of them, gentlemen. Ender's Game, Jim first. Oh, okay. How
3: <laughs> about you, Law Dog? What, book or movie? Either. Your call, or both. Look, Starship Troopers the book or the movie book
0: he said okay i like both for different reasons you
4: just like the shower scene and starship troopers
3: same story so you can't pick both yes two different stories though so i I actually found
0: i I actually found hindline from the movie which i loved is because i love campy cheap crappy movies Uh, And I remember thinking, because I was talking about it when I was in um, ROTC in high school, but to the instructor, I said, yeah, but they use zero tactics. It's like they all just mass charged in waves like they were the Chinese in World War, uh, in Korean War or something. And it's, ah, because you got to read the book. And so I read the book and it wasn't what I expected because I expected an action thriller and and the book is more like a, a political treatise meets his worldview on philosophy and all the things. There was some action in it, but not a lot.
1: No. See, my my mother made me read the book, but I will say as a female soldier, watching the movie and how the women interacted in the infantry unit with other men as, with men as basically just, oh yeah, I happen to have a set of ovaries, really did form a lot of my opinion of how I wanted to be perceived as a soldier. Yep. There is that. Uh, um, oh, there's surprising depths in Seska tonight.
0: <laughs> no, that, that's that's not a bad answer. um So, yeah, well, I just like the campy action and killing the bugs. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that deep.
1: Uh, I will admit, I'm the I the a big pond. bug, all I can think of is that logo. You know the 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 motto. Know more? The only dude bug dead bug is a dead bug, and I literally squish them and go, "Die, die, bug!"
0: As you should, I approve. So you <laughs> so know, but they can send the hate mail to Seska.
1: What?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just saying, uh, they can, PETA can send the hate mail to Seska at com. Why would people eating tasty animals be sending hate mail? Well, I actually in high school formed Pet P as my own organization. It's people for the ethical treatment of plants. They have feelings too, you know. <laughs>
1: Okay. I got kicked out of
0: class for that t-shirt. I don't know why. Doc, ask him the fantasy religion question.
1: Uh so Dragonheart, Aragon, or Dungeons and Dragons the movie? Dungeons and Dragons the movie.
4: Yes!
2: <laughs> Considering I've not seen any of them, I'd have to say
3: beats the hell out of me. Well, Aragon is yeah. Aragon is just Star Wars' show numbers fouled off, which annoys me. <laughs>
1: I won't tell Christopher Coyne you said
0: that. I, ha- I didn't oh, even know till she said this question up that there was the Dungeons & Dragons movie. So I'm both horrified and curious to, to Google this and see if it's on it is, Netflix.
1: You like Rogers. campy movies? You will love it.
3: There's actually a All better right, now one. We, you know what?
4: Go ahead. Mm-hmm.
3: There's actually a better one. I'm uh, trying yes. to remember what the hell the name of it is. It's a uh, small, it's campy, uh, small group of gamers, uh, darkness
4: rising I um, heard of
3: it. darkness rising that's the one you should be watching
0: i will add this to the list in fact doc it will go on the movies we potentially review as an episode
4: mm.
0: all right but uh we will write that down for later so we here at the blasters and blades podcast like both the fantastical and the scientific so what was your first love sci-fi or fantasy uh you get to go first law dog
3: um, that's gonna be hard because my first uh my first actual fiction love was Edgar Riceborough's uh Princess of Mars. So is it fiction? That was or is it science fiction amazing? Um good question. Uh, I don't know.
0: I mean they they had tech that was futuristic, so I would call Ish. it sci-fi. Uh swords. True, but I mean they had swords and um in Star Wars, and that's sci-fi-ish. Ugh.
1: Star Wars is space. So we'll space call it space
0: it? fantasy. We'll, we'll call we'll call that space fantasy too. Yeah, Edgar Rice Burroughs was All my right. first one.
2: That works for me. What about you, Jim? Uh, Heinlein and E. E. Doc Smith, Arthur C. Clarke. So higher. Okay. Hard
0: so, uh, what's your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction as a genre? Was it watching it on the TV, reading books, uh, playing games? Where did you discover the genre? We're going to, Jim, this time, you first? Uh, books
2: when I was about
0: 10 or 11. Do you remember the very first one?
1: <sighs> or an early one? How about an early one?
2: Well, that was 60 years ago. You expect me to remember that? <laughs>
1: yes, that. because
3: you're not really that old. I didn't uh, know that papyrus lasted that long. Oh shut up.
1: <laughs> no, Uh-oh. no, it was stone tablets that they used back then.
3: I would
2: I would have to say probably Heinlein. Okay. Because Is it his juveniles or his adult fiction? Uh probably the juvenile. Because Arthur C. Okay. and Doc Smith didn't really write juvenile. I didn't hit them until a lot. So what about eleven or twelve?
0: Okay, still an early reader and an early adapter, so we approve. All right, what about you, Law Dog? What was your
3: first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Um, War in Nigeria, and it was a worn copy of uh, Alfred Bester's *The Stars My Destination*. Okay,
0: very specific. You pass mm-hmm. the test. You get a cookie.
2: <laughs> All
4: right,
1: Doc.
2: Get next question though. is you.
4: Well, he, he doesn't
1: he actually doesn't pay anybody, he just deducts their pay and hopes that they forget that they don't get paid.
3: <laughs> yeah, still still one <laughs> of my favorite the first uh, it was the first science fiction book I ever read, and it's still one of my favorite books to this day. Which is Star is My Destination.
1: Okay. I will and have I, to
3: check that one out. I think I, I think I read it when I was nine or ten. It's uh, very sparse. Uh, Alfred Bester was almost—he um, was very sparse, but every bit of cyberpunk that uh, today owes a great debt of gratitude to the *Stars My Destination*.
1: Well, then we'll definitely have to check that one out.
3: You might find it under *Tiger, Tiger*. It published in, in England under *Tiger, Tiger*.
1: Okay. So, because we've done a, we've talked a bunch to the cyberpunk community. They're really awesome people. But we're here to talk about you guys. So what was your, what is it that you love about speculative fiction as a genre? Which one of you wants to go first?
2: I guess I'll jump on that one. Jump on that hand grenade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that
4: sounds weird.
1: Yeah.
2: It's... Uh, I tend to write hard science fiction so with my background i've had access to some things a lot of people haven't so i'm actually able to put that in the science fiction and still make it believable but the other thing about science fiction is you don't get bogged down in reality per se because you're not thinking about oh i was there or oh i saw this or Oh, that's a bad location or oh, that place doesn't exist in speculative fiction none of it exists and yeah there are going to mm-hmm. be people that'll you know well you know you really should have gone in and figured out the uh the home and transfer better because you missed this
3: yeah eat a bowl of yeah that too
1: <clears throat> yeah no I, I love it when I I listen to people who do that to like Ann McCaffrey stories, and I'm like, you do realize that she was using the science of the time? Yes, we now know more. Yeah,
3: that annoys me.
1: Uh, yeah. So. Well. Now, how about you, Law Dog? What's your What is it that you love about this genre? Oh, I grew up in Africa in the '70s,
3: uh, early '80s.
1: That was a an interesting time to be there. Yes, uh, <laughs>
3: revolution of the week. Um, I tell folks the first time I was shot at with intent, I was two years old. Um,
1: I can believe it. They must've known
3: you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, fun times. And then I turned around when I got out of the, uh, military, I became a cop and I've seen all of the myriad 10,000 ways man can be inhumane to man. Yeah. And Um, I love I can pick up a book and be transported away. Um somewhere nicer. Not necessarily nicer, but not here and some somewhere with hope. Cause to to quote a famous man, people are bastard covered bastards with bastard coating and bastard filling. And I can pick up even Dune for God's sake has hope in it. Mm -hmm. Um, Well it it does, it has hope. Where you know, it's not this nasty. It's not Africa in the '70s. It's not taking down a uh, uh, the door in a meth house or um, anything else. I can pick up a book and it's different, and it's glorious, and there's possibilities there.
1: And it's just fun. Yep. Yep. So um okay. How did your love of science fiction or speculative fiction actually transition into writing stories in this world? I think I asked Jim answered first last time. Does he want to go first, or are we going to let Law Dog go first?
2: Wait
3: on. Gee, thanks. Yeah, well, what was the question? <laughs> what was the question again?
1: How did your love of speculative fiction eventually lead into you writing speculative? I, I wanted to write stories of hope. Um. You get done with a 12-hour
3: shift and you you don't want to watch the crap tv oh look it's kardashians yay um i wanted to i wanted to transport people give them hope um give them fantastic worlds to get lost in just like i got so i I wanted to write worlds that would transport people and uplift people and all the good stuff
0: okay Uh, how about that you, is too? actually part of the hold on. Mm-hmm. That is that, that reasoning is part of the reason the VA teaches classes on writing as therapy. Because something about like venting your woes on a page yep. and going happier places helps people. Same reason they get people into gardening. So that, that fits. Wow, right. Funny stories. Yeah. All right, doc. I'm sorry I interrupted you. I probably it, no, part. I messed <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fix it. I don't know what I'm doing. Stage.
0: Doc,
1: don't I should have give given me- you the power. No, you should have given me the power. You just should have given me some training to go with it. But since you did the same thing the army did, you're stuck with what you got, just <laughs> like they did. What um, kind of
4: training?
0: Army training, sir. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, right, Doc. Yeah, try to save stuff, yourself. <laughs> Many others draw from their own world experiences, but were there any formidable moments that really shaped who you became as a storyteller? Uh, we'll start with Jim, and then we'll ask Law Dog.
2: Well, I guess what I did for a living was part of it. <laughs> I couldn't afford the bar bills, and uh, I don't sleep on <laughs> airplanes. And I was traveling about 200 days a year all over the world in R&D for the Navy, and I was in uh, <clears throat> the firing line and then the high road. And then I looked around one day in there, and a couple of people had gotten published. And I went, "Wait a friggin' minute! I could do this." <laughs> so my first book was a series of short stories, oddly enough titled vignettes. And uh, I had uh, submitted it for a number of, to a number of publishers, and got told that uh, in one particular refusal that even if I vanity pressed it, I would never sell two hundred copies in my lifetime. And I'm like, ha! Challenge accepted.
1: Wow! Did that person know how to motivate you? Yeah, I've sold about five thousand of them so far. But, I really uh, hope that person's eating their crow pie.
2: <laughs> well that was uh, a uh, letter that I burned very cheerfully trust me
0: <laughs> oh I, I do i might have I might have kept a copy just to mail it to them and then a statement of royalties that you've earned if I had thought about it,
2: I probably would have jr but I was so pissed
4: Everybody yeah.
3: Yeah, but
1: but that's where, like, also you know the entire concept of eBooks now. I could see somebody really thinking they could do that, yeah. but I mean, indie publishing has and the ability to do eBooks versus having to use a physical book has made it so that that's much more doable.
2: Oh yeah, I'm I am a benefactor of eBooks, no question. I mean, I I put out paperbacks too, but. My sales ratio is probably ninety to ten. I'll sell ninety Ooh. ebooks for every ten art uh, paperbacks I sell.
1: I think a lot of authors, even even those who are traditionally published find that today well, okay, given the last year we had that kind of skewed the numbers
2: yeah. a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Except little
1: for bit. Barnes & Noble, by the way, J- JR, who likes to rag on them. They still kept their stores going for online, online order and pick up at the curb all through
0: the pandemic. That's because their website is still circa nineteen fifty.
1: Yeah. I still like to go buy my books. Wanna- I have an algorithm show them to me.
0: Yes, but I read digitally for reasons, so...
1: So I don't need special. to go
0: to a store for that, but special. All right, did we? That, I've been told that before. Did did everybody answer their formidable moments, or did we just oh. get the one? Because I distract everybody and sidetrack. It happens. Um,
3: Africa is a very verbal culture. In the seventies, there was the TV would come on for an hour every night, and there was one episode of Skippy the Kangaroo that played on loop. <laughs> oh dear God! Oh God! Yes um and then the company my father worked for um hired combat veterans because they were the company was exclusively in africa so the uh the owner of the company decided that folks that had already been in combat could handle africa a little better than some poor newbie right out of out of uh, school
4: so you know what
1: Saudi Arabia did that. Uh, Aramco Oil used to do that, too. They hired mostly military vets.
3: They got but- the idea from NL, NL Bayroids. Really. Okay. Um, so I grew up around a whole bunch of Vietnam vets and Omani War British veterans and bushfire veterans. And military veterans around the world, especially combat veterans, have a very verbal um, culture. Yeah. There are a lot of storytelling. A lot of four-letter words, too. Oh, <laughs> no. I love
1: I, how he's like, it's a
3: verbal culture. It's very. Um, I used to have to verbal. take a month before we came home <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: and, and sanitize my language because my mother's parents oh, were, they were deacons. Um,
4: oh, yeah. my,
2: oh,
3: I, I grew up with all these military vets that told stories and around all these tribal folks that told stories. And telling stories just came naturally. It works. All right. So, speaking of military service,
0: since we talked about that in the intro, we ask all of our veterans who are also um, all of our authors who are also veterans this question. But how do you feel like your time in uniform affects the stories you tell? Uh, go with you, uh, Law Dog. Um,
3: I. It's given me several very funny stories to tell, and a whole bunch of uh, deniable stuff. <laughs> but yeah my uh my time in the army lied to me i know that's going to be a, a surprise to a whole bunch of people no but they lied pretty hard because my 18 year old self went in the recruiter and he promised to get me back to africa because i wanted to go home and uh lying bastard never got me any further than fort hood which is like four hours south of here.
1: Dude, mine never got me any further than Bliss.
3: <laughs> yeah, Good but still. Um, so, I, I, I didn't form a lot of fraternal attachments. I went in the army, uh, scary, angry young man, and came out a scary, angry, achy, slightly <laughs> older man.
2: And well, you were dumb enough to jump out of airplanes for fun and profit.
3: He told me I'd get laid. Again, he lied.
1: Yeah. Hey! The one so thing my wh- wh- grandfather wh- told me, okay, he told me two things, of wis- well, three things of wisdom. One of them backfired. One is, if you're going to jump out of an airplane, do it on the government's dime. Well, two, never argue with an angry NCO. And three, don't ever get stationed at Fort Bliss. <laughs> <laughs> Fucker, that was my duty station.
0: <laughs> so, wow. I remember when I enlisted in the guard, my recruiter telling me that don't worry, you'll never get deployed. Nineteen ninety-eight, CNN ran a piece that world peace might finally be uh, attainable, and uh, my recruiter insisted that the guard would only be deployed after the Boy Scouts and the Ladies Auxiliary had been uh, called up. Uh, oh, he lied to you He was wrong. Yeah, so so I. My recruiter it. Of course- not-
1: One second, my recruiter was right. He, I overheard him telling my mom, "Don't worry." the chances of her being a line medic are very small and because that's all I wanted to be be. I'm still angry not that you're still bitter I'm I'm not bitter I'm just black coffee in my soul
0: so that's the one thing they forgot to mention as a line item on the see the world is that everywhere they would send me to see would be people would hate me for being there and want to shoot me and kill me. I uh, thought that's I was just picturing like there, they are. Well, it's possible, but I was thinking see the world like I'd get to go to Germany and see cool stuff, or I don't know Hawaii and surf with the dolphins or something. And no, they send me to a desert to get shot at. Yeah, for two and a half years. At least you got paid for it. I was in the desert getting shot at. This is not true. Really paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I, at least I got blood money. All right, so Law Dog, what about you? How do you feel like your time in the service affects the stories you tell? I think I just answered that. He answered it. My turn. He answered Oh. Yep, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I distract myself even. It's it's bad. No, you just can't tell
1: them apart.
0: Ouch.
2: Well, my my career basically runs from Vietnam to the first Gulf War. And I was in both of them, so uh that definitely impacts uh, even though I was in aviation primarily flying a long patrol aircraft, but the pluses and minuses, I've been all over the world, literally, and I've seen the third world in action. I've seen communism up close and personal. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> in the Navy, we did a thing called H-A-D-R, which was... Uh, Basically, we would, when we deployed, we deployed for six months at a time. And we would normally go to a base somewhere to fly out of. Philippines, uh, Japan, Iceland, Bermuda, uh, Lodges, Guam, various other places, Sigonella, Sicily. Uh, Fucking Fort Hood. (laughs) Sorry. And uh, we would take on a project, usually it was an orphanage, that was kind of the thing that we liked to do, was we would find a local orphanage, and there are a hell of a lot of them outside the US, trust me, and we would go in and basically spend probably four to 5,000 man hours uh, helping them rebuild stuff, paint stuff, uh, fix the place up, get it wired, we had a corpsman at, uh, in a couple of the squadrons that's, and a doc that spent most of their time at the orphanages trying to get the kids better. Uh, healthcare is nowhere near what we have in the U.S. even as bad as it is today. So uh, that, that kind of impacted uh, quite a bit and then with what I did in the military uh, I got to go places and do things basically on my own. One crew, one airplane, debts all over the world. And uh, Back in the 80s, a junior officer could still be an officer in charge, which, yeah, don't happen today. So I've been as far north as the North Pole and as far south as uh, New Zealand, Chrysler's New Zealand, and pretty much everywhere in between got the shit scared out of me more than once got shot at a few times uh participated in a few things that uh, will never be written about and some that have been but yeah it affects my writing i don't write about the military per se uh because i really don't want to go to leavenworth
1: <laughs> we would like right. you to stay right where you are having fun writing amazing stories just saying
2: Yeah, you and me both.
0: So that's the one thing I will say that, and I think anyone that's in their time in service saw the rest of the world, visited other countries. I don't think most Americans realize quite what a bubble they live in, that the rest of the world does not. Oh hell, no, they don't even protections and freedoms.
3: Well, bear in mind that until I was sixteen, I would spend one month out of every year stateside. The rest of the time, I was in Africa. And people in America, even to even to now, annoy the absolute way out of me sometimes. Oh, my God, we have it so bad. No. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a woman doing calculations on which child to sell in order to feed the rest of them. Yep. So suck down your soy mocha latte, get off your damn iPhone, and
1: shut the hell up.
3: Yep, tell us how you really feel. (laughs) I
1: I will admit,
3: you do not want to get me started. Getting
1: off the iPhone helps a lot because that thing sucks you in like an intellectual black hole. Well, what I want to know
2: is where androids are confusing are all these goddamn panhandlers getting iPhones or are these Obama phones?
3: I don't care, it's I I really don't care when a
2: panhandler's got a better phone than I have. I got a problem with it.
3: Well, I Let's face oh. it, Jim, our poor people live better
2: than, than 90% the, of the world. They're yeah. rich
3: people in 90% of the world. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me in the least. What surprises me is the fact that they have the nerve yeah. to get their panties in a bunch over their perceived
1: injustices. Yeah. That's- well, there, there are some things. America's not perfect. There are some things we can definitely work on on changing. But Today, we're here to talk about Can't Go Home. Yeah. So, I mean, I love my country, too. We have some flaws, though.
4: Oh, and um, everybody, But today, we're here
1: to talk about the humans end. are flawed. That's a simple way of it. So, we all are. Um.
2: Some more than others.
4: Jared, <laughs> so, you, you, of- you-
2: <laughs>
0: No, no, I got the next one. I just didn't want to interrupt um but uh yeah See, so do you singer. ever draw do you ever jim do you ever draw from people that you knew while you were in the military uh all of my characters are
2: composites contrary to some of the right. emails that i've gotten no it was not your daddy <laughs> you laugh you saw that I,
1: i'd be really worried if you it was my daddy
2: but yeah, I, I, I do composites. There there are uh, certain people that that may or may not uh, end up in novels.
4: <laughs> okay. What about you, Law Dog?
2: You scrub the serial numbers off well enough.
3: I generally I don't I don't do people uh, from the military that much. I do tropes from the military. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the tropes from military so, make a good base for a character. Which tropes are you
0: speaking of for people yeah. that might not be familiar? Um, okay. the know right. so
1: you can't do math.
3: The grouchy, <laughs> yeah. first, the grouchy first sergeant, the disappearing warrant officer, um, the clueless <laughs> second lieutenant. I hate second lieutenants. Miscreant E4s. Miscreant E4s. Oh, God, really? Miscreant E4s. Hey. So hey. far you haven't said anything that wasn't
0: just
2: factual. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, but each one of those is a wonderful trope you can work into a character. Yeah.
2: And 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 remember, you got the 212 things Skippy can't do in the army anymore, too.
1: Yeah, well, I know so, that I'm secretly their favorite and E4. So <laughs>
0: So the uh, the other part of that is just because of the nature of when I served, because I, like I said, I went in in 98 and I was out in 07, is I was the the tail end of the, the old 80s era Cold War veterans getting out. So, like, my platoon sergeant in Iraq was a non-vet. Uh, I deployed with people that were really – that literally got the go to war or go to jail speech when they got arrested the first time. Oh,
4: yeah. Yeah. Uh, they I've were at the – so,
0: so, I mean, I, I, just, they, I don't think that even happens anymore, at least not officially. Although small towns are going to small town. 90, oh, yeah. Yeah, 1996. So
3: 1996. I picked up a young man for his second shot at thumping his mama on top of multiple uh, misdemeanor uh, ticketed marijuana offenses. And sheriff and I drove him into Amarillo and we pulled up outside the recruitment center. The young man said, what am I supposed to do? And sheriff said, Enlist. And he said, no. And the sheriff said, I'll beat your ass out here until you enlist. And he went in and enlisted. <laughs> and four, no, eight years later, he came home. Um, he'd done four years in the Marines and four years in college and was making a uh, a very good go of it. And it pointed out that we had violated his constitutional rights under the 13th Amendment <laughs> no slavery. And the sheriff said, and yeah. your point is, it's, <laughs> well he got paid yeah sort of <laughs> I'm,
1: i mean, yeah i no. mean it's not really that's not actually the constitutional right that they you they, you violated but that's okay yeah
2: yeah barry's no. lawyer
1: gonna barry's lawyer
2: <laughs> yeah jr you talk about uh serving with vietnam vets i my command master chief was a world war ii aviation pilot so he was army air Corps no, he was no, Navy well, enlisted. Well, you were Navy, so. Navy enlisted pilot. Flew in VF3 off the original Enterprise. And he was slightly crusty.
3: One of my babysitting uncles when I was six years old was named Chuck, Uncle Chuck. And my father was fond of saying that not all of Chuck came back from Vietnam. Yeah. And uh my folks came home from party one night and discovered that Uncle Chuck was teaching my brother and I the proper method of century removal with a knife. <laughs> and my dad went, all I mean, right, and went to bed. My mom lost her poo. <laughs> I-,
0: I was about to say, what's wrong with that? I mean, that's just good uncling right
3: there. Dad went, eh, OK. Mom went, why are you teaching my children the knife
1: a century? And Chuck looked at her and said, because they might have to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is how different my, the row reversal in my family is. Because my dad would have been the one flipping out. And my mom would be going, just make sure you know which side of the line they're on and go to bed. Okay. okay. Role reversal. My
3: mother was the one
1: that taught her eight-year-old sons how to make nitrogen triiodide.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah. Dude, I like your mom. Okay, I the entire freaking out about the getting rid of the century thing. I like your mom already. And the, okay. the black powder. When so, we're
3: trying, when we're trying okay, to I may or
1: may not have taught my Viking child how to make a fireball.
0: I, I think what I'm, I'm adopting all of them? They left right. me alone with them. I mean, in, in your defense, they left you without adult supervision. Uh, so does your time in the service affect the way you engage with stories, uh, be they written, um, TV, etc., as a reader, not as a writer, uh, Jim, does it, does you think your time in the, in the military affects how you engage in content?
2: Oh yeah, very much so. Uh, and I guess the two biggest reasons is that I'll wall a book is the perfect character, which I hate. And when they do the weapons or tactics wrong, it
3: has to be period correct. It has to be period correct. Yes.
1: Okay.
4: Mm-hmm. I, I wait one, one second. Email. I like what
1: he said is period correct. Yep. We, because that's very important because things do change over time in the military. Well, oh, they change over time everywhere, sister. I, I understand that but i but i've i've listened to people who who rant and rave and i'm like but for the time period it was in that actually makes sense guys come when on I in,
3: when i was in high speed low drag you had a uh, um, m16 with a seymour uh forward mounted heads up or a red dot sight and if i if i'm if i'm watching high speed low drag guys, uh, allegedly in 1980, Cold War, late Cold War military. And I see them using a C clamp and, uh, you know, C clamp firing platform and, uh, you know, gear that's way out. And they do it all the time and noise the crap out of me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we chicken winged. We, when we were firing the, the uh, M16s, we chicken-winged it. That's what we did. Yep, and we that's had the that, way you were taught. We had an idiot heel-to-toe Groucho marks advance when firing. Yeah, Not, but I'm, I just – But guys in the 2000 2010s did it totally different. Yeah. So if I'm yeah. reading something or watching something that's set in one period and they're doing stuff on another period, you have no idea how bad that annoys me
1: but but that's that's so what i mean it's important for the readers to, to understand and our listeners to get that yeah that's an so important one thing people don't
0: factor in. One thing people don't factor in when it comes to tactics is how much of it's a a yin and a yang call and response to what the other guy's doing. So you develop defensive tactics as they develop offensive tactics and vice versa. So when everyone started wearing the flag jackets, you went from a side silhouette profile because it makes you harder to hit because there's less of you exposed to front facing, which gave you that weird crab walk in a uh hunched back because you were trying to put your your body armor forward because if you're going to get hit let the let the plate stop it and so well,
4: no that,
3: when i see
0: that's one of the things you can tell
3: the folks i was i was up against uh both prior and during military were soviet but trained it was uh okay. basically kgb surrogates with you know russian or soviet military doctrine training Yes. The ones you were up against were a bunch of uh, insurgents with Iranian, This we got this from Hollywood or Bollywood training. Yeah. And that changes the whole dynamics well, and of the situation. Got- well, China.
2: Yeah, that in, the in their country.
3: defense,
0: I did see their training video, and they did monkey bars.
2: So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everybody's seen that.
0: Yes. I laughed for so, that. So Law Dog, did did you weigh in on how it uh, affects how you engage in content? Your your military service.
3: Yes, uh, very much so. If I okay. see something set in the '80s, it better have '80s doctrine and uh, everything. Uh, also, I just making uh, sure. And also, it's um, the roles. Yes. Um, if I've got some E4 smartassing a major, in a book or a movie,
1: well, that's we're done with that one. Um. I, I will admit, I did read one book and it was very funny. And it was a very similar cir- circumstance junior enlisted soldier smart mousing about a mid rank officer. And it was glorious watching what smarting happened next. About or smarting too. Smarting too. And it was glorious what happened next in the book. And I, I giggled and you know, laughed so hard. That doesn't bother me if, but it's, you know,
3: I, I read one the other day. Well, I partially read one. It's somewhere behind the couch right now. Because that had something about E four smart assing a uh, a major and a major taking it. Huh, no, it's like well. There's, okay, there's- okay. There's-
4: one there's- second.
1: I will say this as an E four. I did occasionally say some things where people just looked at me and they went, they could not. And I was told later they couldn't decide if I was smart mouthing them or not. Because as you both have seen, I can have a very deadpan delivery. Oh yeah! Yes. Oh yeah! So it's like, you know, so the, the trick the,
3: is the next is going to have a CSM ripping a strip off that E4. Yeah. yeah, it
0: doesn't. Right. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes if you if it happens, a major generally will be nice because, you know, he's got the sergeant major the first sergeant, whoever it's going to come up behind and take that guy behind the woodshed. There's going to be a little bit of wall to wall counseling and noses might be bloody, but lessons will be learned.
1: It's OK. The- it builds character.
3: Yes. Oh, I, that's I what remember. they told
0: me when they thumped me around. <laughs>
1: that's what I told that. my son when he was crying into his vegetables, too, that he didn't had vegetables.
2: I I saw that back in the 70s where literally E7 took his, took his khaki shirt off and said, all right, let's go out behind the line check and went out and beat an E5 into the ground and said, now, you want to go back to work or you want me to write you up? And E5's lander going, hey, 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 word.
3: Sus, yeah. you know? We never And that was it. Command Sergeant Major reached out and grabbed the uh, uh, PFC's entire face. Yeah. And just line pitched him down the uh, playground. It's like, oh, that boy done screwed up.
2: Yeah. Uh, he must have had his up hands up. in
3: his pocket and walked on the grass. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, one more example. So, you know James Young. Colonel yep. Young? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. James Young, yes. Colonel Young. Yeah, Colonel Young. Uh, I wrote a short story for him for one of his uh, anthologies. And he came back and mentioned that uh, I had made a mistake on the aircraft that I was using. And I sent him an email back and I said, James, I realize you're a PhD in history, but I was there. I know what airplanes were flying out of both locations. And it was this and this. And I get this frowny face back, and he goes, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of editing on my story. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, attention All right. to detail. Hmm. All
0: right. We, we get to dive
1: into the individual story. So, question 14 is you, Doc. Wait. This is fandom question, JR. Not individual stories. So,
0: oh, I jumped the gun, but still fourteen. Okay, I can do the math. All right,
1: <laughs> ish. I I don't think your alma mater taught very good math, but we'll One, go two,
3: on. Many, many more.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So, fingers and toes.
1: Has anyone I asked for my your math audit-
0: from the? As you see, I learned my math from the Tootsie Roll Owl. One,
1: yeah. two, three.
3: <laughs> say again, Cisco. All right,
1: Doc, I'll shut up. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay. So, has anybody asked for your autograph away from? Has anybody asked for your autograph?
3: Oh, yeah. Yes.
1: Okay. Got a funny story about it?
3: Oh, uh, they had to scrape me off the ceiling. <laughs> It was my first Liberty Con, actually. Yeah. Oh, awesome! Yeah, first Liberty Con, and I'm I'm twitchy around crowds, uh, badly, badly twitchy. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm twitchy around people. Period. And the Conovers uh, showed up, and <laughs> I love the Conovers. Um, uh, warrant officers, military intelligence, great folks, and Mrs. Conover Squeed. <laughs> and do you know, oh, God, wanted,
1: that would scare me too.
3: Yeah, and she wanted my, and I gave her my first ever autograph, and then oh, so I went to the bar and slammed three old fashions in a row.
1: <laughs> Damn, nice! Trying to get my hands to stop shaking. Wait, wait, wait. Was that when we were in the ch- the choo choo? That was yep. when we were in the choo choo. Yeah. Okay, so what what year was that? 2016? Hell 2016. 2016, I think. Oh, dude, I was probably the one pouring you the old fashioned. Were you wearing a blue lace bustier? We will not talk about what I wear at cons. <laughs> if so, I think that was a yes.
3: If so, if she was pouring the, the booze. Yeah. And I was so, in a corner slamming booze, trying to get my hands to stop shaking.
1: Yes, we we I I remember that. I think actually. So how about you, Law Dog? That was Law Dog. Oh, sorry oh <laughs> having me do it now jim how about you please
2: help me i forgot the damn
1: question you <laughs> do you have a cool story about having somebody asking for your autograph
2: uh yeah kinda uh <laughs> i was actually driving down the highway going to uh Driving down I 95 and somebody recognized my license plate.
1: And that doesn't in. sound stalker-ish
2: at all. I pulled into uh, a rest area in North Carolina, just matter of fact, just north of Fort Bragg. And this guy gets out of the car, comes over, and goes, Are you old LFO? I said, Yeah, that's me. He goes, Hang on a second. And he runs back and pulls a copy of vignettes out of the car. <laughs> and comes over and goes, would you sign this? Uh, sure. <laughs> How the hell did you? He says, and then he told me who he was, and I forget now. But he was on the high, the high road in the firing line. You right recognize old yeah. enough? Old,
3: yeah. You've got vanity plates, which is why I never have vanity plates. Yeah.
2: Well, that was why I could find a car in a damn parking lot in D.C. Mm
1: yeah that's fair i mean i want to do it because i don't believe in giving the government that much extra money but now,
2: i've had some some funny interactions with some of
1: my readers though so have you spotted anybody reading any of your books out in the wild yes yep okay which book guys come on mr yes no questions <laughs> Come on, we're an hour into this. You can't change your M.O. now. Um, the, first, the
3: first one I published was a lot of files. It was a collection of short stories, funny short stories um, from law enforcement career. And uh, I had written a story in there about a female D.A. that I, I crossed with while I was chasing a, a meth hound. Um, she ran into the women's bathroom and I ran in after not realizing it was women's bathroom in the courthouse. And sure. as, I, as I was kicking open stalls, I kicked open stall, and here's the lady DA. Um, and she pointed, and I went off after. It was it was a bad time. Um, I wrote about that, and eight years later, I was going to the DA's office of the warrant and looked into the uh, office where this lady DA in that story, that was her office, and she's sitting there reading a copy of my book. Oh, <laughs> I, Wow. Oh, you're about to get chapter 14. That's going to be bad. I'm out of here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. How about you?
2: I was down at uh, Quantico, down in exchange, down there. Went down there and grabbed something to eat and uh, was in a little food court and looked over and a guy had my second book in my first series and he was reading it and it was like, thank you, homie. I'm impressed. And it was a Marine staff sergeant. I I did not have the guts to go over and introduce myself. (laughs) I can't do that. I can't
3: do that.
1: Yeah. Don't interrupt them. What? Don't interrupt a Marine NCO. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what is your funniest story of a fan interaction? Jim, we'll let Law Dog sort through what he's got.
2: All right. Uh, There are probably two. One is a 70-year-old lady out in West Texas. Now, you have to understand, my first series was a niche series. It was written to make sure the guns were all right and the characters were imperfect. Okay. This email from this 70-year-old lady out in West Texas who goes, you son of a bitch, you killed my favorite character. Why did you kill Juanita? And I went, er, (laughs) what the hell do I say? You know, I had to.
1: It worked for the story? Huh? It worked for the story?
4: Yeah. Yeah.
2: She has become one of my biggest fans and one of my alpha readers.
4: Wonderful. Another
2: Another one is a gent who went online to use Google Earth to see if there really was a dumpster behind the bank in Fort Stockton, Texas. Oh, dear and heavens. And sent me a picture of it and said, there really was one. I said, yes, I know. I've actually been there.
1: So, you know, the, the phrase, the devil into the details, these oh, these gosh, people yeah. have proven my counterphrase, which is, so are the fans.
2: Yep. And that's why I have the reputation that I do for writing accurate books.
3: How
1: about you, Law Dog?
3: Well, the most recent will be the uh, email I got exclaiming, uh, I I did a, a short story for it. It came from the trailer park. Ah, and yes. I, I I let I kind of got weird. Um, and I got an email saying, I never, ever, I never, ever thought I'd say this, but thank you for the um, interesting yet tasteful use of hentai in the trailer park.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is- oh, dear heavens. <laughs> Yeah. Can you say the name of this, of where this story can be found again for anybody who is curious? It came
3: from the trailer park.
1: (laughs) And I think my story's
3: midway through. It involves Tasteful Hentai, uh, a hippie goblin goblin commune, and uh, gray aliens getting what's coming to them. And it
2: involves tentacle porn.
3: Hentai. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I also have a
3: story in that one. Great Ravens Publishing actually is, yeah. the, is the one that published
1: it. Well, there you go, JR. You can go check it out.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know what you think I do in my spare
1: time, but <laughs> that's not it. Well, I don't know what it is you do with your spare time. <laughs> don't ask, don't tell It's still an effect here. Tasteful hentai. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right, I'll, uh, I'll add that to the list of things that are on the maybe, probably, never list. <laughs> all right, Doc, are you done with your fandom questions? Have you gotten it all out of your system? Uh, never, but go ahead. Okay, I just want to make sure you didn't want to add some on, because you know I know this is important to you. All right, so this is the part of the... This is the part of the interview where we talk about everything they have written. So starting with you, Jim, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of everything you've written?
2: Well, I've got the Great Man series, which is six books, Cops versus Cartel down on the border, current fiction, uh, RimWorld series, which is three books right now, probably six total in the end, Uh, military science fiction. I just started an 1870s Western series called The Bell Chronicles. Uh, got anthologies out called Cal Exit and Tales Around the Supper Table and a second one of those coming in uh, probably about three weeks. And the Fourth Rim World will be up by December, by Christmas.
4: Woohoo!
0: Um,
3: hoo ah, An overachiever. I like it.
0: All right. And what about you, Lawdog? What does uh, your body of work look like?
3: Uh, I've got both Lawdog Files uh, books out. I've got um, currently squabbling over getting my rights back. Um, I've got multiple anthologies out and three works and projects, uh, in pro- uh, progress.
0: All right. And while all of those sound fascinating, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll already see the book cover up. But today we're talking about the Can't Go Home Again anthology, which was uh, revolves around the topic of of PTSD and sort of those issues associated with. But, Jim, what made you decide to participate in this anthology? Was it just uh, generically you like, you know, those kinds of issues or was there something specific? I hope they've got
2: time because I'm (laughs) going to be talking for a while. Oh. (laughs) basically I got told I was writing a story
1: that sounds like cedar
2: Uh, (laughs) well you have to understand there are a number of us that get together every weekend over here for dinner on Saturday night and the cooking rotates through but I end up hosting it so there have been now two anthologies plus this one being the third one that have come out of our discussions around the supper table so I was politely told I was going to write the story. So I did. Okay. And uh, That was
0: efficient. I,
3: yeah.
2: And now I will let lot talk you? for the next 20 minutes.
3: Oh God, I won't talk quite that long. <laughs> um, critical instant stress and PTSD has been a uh, been an interest of mine since 1997. I attended a Caliber Press speech revival seminar and the second day of it was about uh, critical incident stress, and I got uh, very interested in it because we had a lot of folks. Uh, first responders have a lot of PTSD, and we were starting to get folks um, at, into the audies from uh, the military veterans are transferring over to first responders, and we're bringing the PTSD with them. Um, fast forward, I've been writing on my blog for a while, and out of the blue, I got email, which was kind of interesting because I hide the email on my blog. Uh, so if you actually find it, I figure you're dedicated enough. I might ought to read what you're emailing me. And it was from a therapist in Houston. And she opened my said, you realize you have a screaming case of PTSD, right? And I kind of twitched this and sent back. No, actually, I don't. Um, when I got my psyche vow to be a peace officer. Uh, they cleared me no PTSD and she said I know who does those evals he's a hack you've got PTSD <laughs> all right so I started looking at it and but damned, I might have a little bit of just a, a little bit of PTSD well come this year and Cedar said and then the, the way only Cedar can do she said if you want to write a story, you can, but you don't have to. Which meant, of course, I had to write a story. <laughs> yep. Sounds like
4: our
1: lady.
3: Yeah. And that was one of the rougher stories I've written.
0: Yeah, these kind of stories can take it out of you. So I, I yeah, get I, that.
3: I, um, I, when I finish writing, I usually do a, a once-over to knock the edges off and clear up the gaping Uh, holes, you know, misspellings and double words and everything. I got done with that one. Banged it off the cedar and said I can't reread this. Clear anything that's obvious error and go.
0: Yeah. I yeah. All right. So normally we would take a second to talk about the cover, but we got the lady that created the cover in the last interview. So if you really want to hear that, check out that last interview um but it is amazing it fits the exactly what the story is trying to do so we will move on because we're an hour in and we've got more stories to tell
4: so um
0: uh, doc if uh well you know at first let me read the uh, the blurb for the anthology we did not have that last time because it wasn't out yet but um <clears throat> men and women who lay their life uh on the line never escape unscathed and when the time comes to return home they find a wall between them and loved ones the tales these tales follow those who gather the hope of being healed and tearing down those walls that have sprung up between them and their loved ones. No one ever said it would be easy. Um, I actually think there's a, uh, a song that said it best called uh, uh, Memoirs of PTSD. It was written through a therapy program, but it's they told you how to wear the uniform. They never told you how to take it off. Mm. Yep. Which is basically sums up what that the goal of this was to try to help people figure out. So doc, let's uh, dive into the first set of stories because they each wrote one. And you okay. get to ask <clears throat> you get to ask Mr. Curtis about his story.
1: Okay, so what was your to- story titled, Jim?
3: Oh. Uh, well, Why are you looking at me?
1: Oh
4: home for Christmas.
1: <laughs> home and for Christmas. Christmas. Okay. So what was the basic synopsis of your short story for those who haven't read it yet?
2: It's a Vietnam veteran father, ex, uh, basically PBR skipper in Vietnam as an ensign, retired as a captain, has two adopted sons. One goes to the Marine Corps, one goes in the Navy.
1: So which but one was his daughter? Didn't have a daughter. So oh, you
2: missed the bad joke. So uh, they both go into combat. They both lose people. And uh, they come home for Christmas. And by this point, the old man is out and retired. And he finally tells them why what their names are based on. And those are the people that he lost off his uh, PBR in Vietnam.
1: That's pretty heavy. So, yeah. well, mm-hmm.
2: and his wife helped him get through the PTSD and became a counselor in Norfolk. So okay. she talks to the boys' wives and they agree to work together to more or less bring them home. Because one of the big fears the military is and even back in our day was that if you went to psych, you were in trouble. Oh
1: yeah. Oh I I think as much as the army tries is has tried to work past that stigma, I think it's still a stigma today.
2: Well, if you were an aviator and you went to psych, you were immediately grounded forever. So
1: yeah, it's there's a couple other branches where it's a it, it has a history of causing issues, like similar. Yeah. Um, so what was your inspiration behind this story?
2: Uh, a friend of mine who was actually a PBR skipper in Vietnam that I worked with. And uh, something very similar happened to him. So I just basically scrubbed the serial numbers off and expanded a little bit. So because I knew people that were coming back uh, from the Gulf and I was over there doing some stuff. So uh, I had some pretty, pretty good feedback from folks that were boots on the ground over there.
1: Yeah. Um, so I know Cedar talked about this is a very genre fluid anthology, not as in not even every story is. um what we'd consider speculative fiction so does this story fit into a larger universe
2: it probably could but i wouldn't write that
1: okay that is totally illegitimate um so a fun one kind of for the road is if you could live well you have we have lived in this world jr these questions really don't apply so your well, turn in
0: my defense i did hold on in my defense i didn't know what kind of stories they were because it was possible they could all go everywhere well yeah everything
1: cedar had told us everything in this this is really if you haven't if you're listening to this and you all of these stories can really there is something literally for everybody in this anthology oh, not right. everything is speculative it's fiction
3: Fred, cedar pounded it into my little head that the thread, the common thread was hope. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So. Every story. I actually.
3: Through,
0: I, actually I actually resonate with that. My youngest son is named after uh, uh, my best friend who didn't come home. So yeah, I, I can really relate to that.
2: Yeah.
0: So the. Um, wow, that's that's heavy. So uh, you thought you were out of the hot seat, but Law Dog, you get to go next. So what was your story titled? Uh, Memories like Dust. All right, and what
3: would be the basic synopsis of this short story? Um, the basics. Basic synopsis is a uh, Afghani that uh, now working for a small sheriff's office, who had survived a, a uh, IED attack on a vehicle, um, comes across a um, car accident, um, a drunk. Uh, drunk driver uh, caused car accident, uh, killing a, a girl and uh, badly injuring another one. And he's having to save her, and it kicks him off into an anxiety attack that he doesn't recognize. And um, it's about the distancing, distancing from society, and the overwhelming feelings of failure that build up and build up that aren't actually, um, uh, there and ends up with, um, you need to find, it's difficult. It's, it ends up with, you, you know, it's okay to look for help and it's, that's, there's, there's a lot of stuff in it. Uh, it was based off of a lot of things uh one was an afghani vet that was one of my kids Um, i was a lieutenant and he was one of my corporals in the sheriff's office and i went outside one day uh, doing something and he was sitting uh, on a curb by his vehicle and just he was full-on freaked out and um, I I pulled the anxiety um, from my studies and from similar episodes I've had. Um, the brain, the human brain, is actually an advanced enlarged uh, nasal organ. Uh, sense of smell is very basic to, to the human animal. And I kicked off every part of uh, the character's um, attacks uh, were kicked off by smells. And then I had the PTSD whispering to him from the shadows. And it's, it's, it's so, a rough
4: one. It's so this story. sounds like
0: this was also, much like the uh, gems, this was also set in modern times, so I'm going to yeah. assume that yeah. uh, those questions no, it's, don't it's, apply it's, for oh, it's you post either.
3: Afghanistan. It's post-Afghanistan. I didn't, I didn't uh, put a date or anything on it. I wanted anybody <clears throat> reading it any, any modern, better reading it to be able to uh, to apply apply it. So I didn't put any. It's just post Afghanistan.
0: Yeah, the uh, the sense of smell is huge. Like I can't smell oh, really? bacon. I'll, I'll eat it, but I can't be around cooking bacon because it smells right. like cooking other things. Yep. And yep. Uh, and so I get that. In fact, one of the the first coping strategies they gave us at the VA when I was first. Uh, taken to the to the residential psych facility when i first got home well when i first got diagnosed uh, and sobered up was they uh, keep candles around because the scent of lavender for whatever reason has a calming effect so I, you'll never find me without a, a lavender candle nearby for those very reasons it's because smell is such a, a huge trigger for people
3: well the uh the, one of the coping mechanisms that he's dealing with uh or that he uses is a cigar because the smell of the see cigar that. Yeah, uh, uh, reminds him of celebrations.
0: Yeah, I can see that definitely. How long it's not one of all right, the damn
2: Perotti cigars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the only thing I miss about my time in Iraq is that we used to get the Cuban cigars over there dirt cheap because there was no embargo between.
4: Yeah, but the they were short cigars.
2: Iraq. They weren't the good ones. <laughs> they were.
3: Uh
2: JR standards are
1: low. How many times do we guys have to do I have to tell you guys? Actually <laughs> well, the cigars,
3: but the cigars my character smoking are Cohibas.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So the the guy outside of Scania was able to get you some good stuff. I don't know what truck it fell off the back of. but uh, they were they were labeled cuban and it was good and i just didn't ask any questions i actually bought a humidor for while i was over there that i kept in my wall locker that i still have that's just all the writing on it is in arabic at some (laughs) point in time i imagine i'll pass it down to to my sons because i don't actually smoke anymore um having an asthmatic wife will will cure you of that addiction (laughs) so but yeah I, i could definitely appreciate the the value of a fine cigar
2: well, um, you, so you had one advantage. We didn't have Jr. You got it documented and you got treatment.
3: We came back from Vietnam. We didn't get shit. Well, this that's, is true. That's they, a, they learned a lot. One of, one of the male things, one of the male laws, and I don't disagree with it, is handle your shit.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And yeah. I, I agree that a man should handle his shit. However... Yeah. <laughs> however that doesn't mean that if you can't handle it, you can't ask for help, and too many veterans, too many first responders won't ask for help. oh
4: yeah
1: well, that's here's the thing though and and i I doubly got this dose because of being both a medic and a soldier. so it was definitely like you need to handle your shit because you got to take care of everybody else's mm-hmm. sometimes handling your shit is asking for help
3: exactly yeah. Doesn't mean doesn't mean you can't have other people help you, and that's something. Some I briefly touch on. I, I used to used to teach a class on critical incident stress, and I I used to you know if you don't take anything else from this class, understand that physical injury, physical trauma. If you break a leg, you go get treatment. It hurts. Somebody treats it. You take medicine for it. It gets better. It will hurt every now and then from then on, but you're okay. There is no difference between physical trauma and mental, emotional, psychic trauma. You're hurt. Somebody's going to have to help you because just like if you don't get help for the broken leg, if you don't get help for the broken psyche, you ain't going to heal right. Yep. Somebody needs to help you and understand that there's going to be times in the future when it's going to pop up again, but it will get better it may take a while you'll backslide but you're gonna get better
2: and that's one of the reasons that those of us that were vietnam vets showed up at airports when y'all came back from the gulf
4: yeah
1: Uh,
2: we wanted you to know you were being met by people
1: i think i I remember during um, what was it called it was after after nine eleven. there was a point where people were feeling very frustrated and it was one of the greatest things. It was these people deserve your support even if you don't agree with what the government is having them do. Because unfortunately once you join you don't have an option about what you do much after that.
2: We were getting spit on coming back from Vietnam. I know. We were getting fake blood or sheep's blood thrown on us going through the airport.
1: And people are
2: dickheads. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: Luckily, I think people
3: person and then I people ruined it.
1: Yeah, you know they keep doing that.
3: <laughs> bastard coated oh. bastards with crunchy bastard filling. Yep.
1: Yeah, just as long and as they minutes. don't make a mess and. Bl- All right, enough on that one. Lead on my good carpets. We're good.
2: All right. So
0: clearly, before we get too uh, too tipsy or or too honest, uh, clearly this interview is winding down. But before we wrap this up, was there anything about the Can't Go Home Again anthology that we didn't ask uh, that you want to tell us about? Um, Jim?
2: I think if, if you don't like all the stories, that's fine. But please read both the forward and the afterword, because Dorothy Grant uh, put some nice words in the afterword <clears throat> about books that, that both men and women can read that she has found to be successful dealing with Peter. And if nothing else, that's that's a takeaway.
3: His case, Peter's case of PTSD makes mine look mild.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I allude to those books in my story, but I don't name them because I knew they were going to be named later. But what we're trying to do is give people a positive uh, positive avenue to get help or to know that there's a way out. Regardless of what you did in the military, from boot camp on, it's going to change you. And that's probably the hardest thing for for families to understand.
1: Even when you come home from boot
2: camp, you're a different person.
1: Well, in, even in military families, I mean, my mom's an army brat and I came home a different person. And you yep. would think being an army brat, she'd get it, especially because her, her father went to Nam. You'd okay. get it. And she talked about how he didn't come back the same person. But no, it's still different.
3: A lot of chucks left in the jungle. Yeah. Um, I'd like to point out we we wrote this for people with PTSD. Um, uh, because to this day, even though we're really trying, we really are, there's still a stigma attached. You've got PTSD. Oh my God. You yeah. know, oh my holy shit, he's got PTSD. There's still a stigma attached. Um, so you know, we wrote we wrote stories with uh the thread of hope, but also it's not just for the vets. I wrote a story to let people who've never had an anxiety attack know what one feels like. If you know somebody with PTSD, they might not want to read the story, the anthology. That's fine. Their family might get
1: something out of it.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Family might get some understanding. That first, if you've never had a panic attack, a true panic attack, you don't know what it is. I, I, I was really lucky. I was around a friend when I had one of my very, like a super bad one for the first time. And she goes, you're, you're not dying. It's okay. And I'm like, I didn't say it was dying. She's like, stop it. Breathe. So it can be hard.
3: I, I go into attack mode and I can't get out of it. And that really sucks.
0: All right. That, uh, that it does, but uh, therapy's out there. So the uh the Veterans Administration has places, the Vet Center,
4: therapies uh, out there.
0: There's a bunch. Friends a are bunch out here too. To out, even, some, even some churches, but the 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 solution is rarely at the bottom of a bottle. So
3: yeah, get help.
1: Not at the bottom um, of the bottle, and it is nothing permanent.
3: You will get better. It may take a while, and you're gonna backslide, but you're gonna get better. I promise. Yeah. So before we let you go.
0: Um, dear listener, I'd like to harken back to our original podcast that you OG types might remember, but uh, I'll assume you're here because you're readers as well as fans of the genre. So after you're finished reading these great, amazing, awesome books, please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right reader find the right books. So do your thing people. Uh, and I hear at the, uh, hundredth, hundredth review the author gets a really cool unicorn. And I happen to know that Jim would like to know what a unicorn steak tastes like. So, so do it for him. Do it for Jim.
4: All right. Uh, I, had to, I had to lighten
2: the mood a little bit. It's going to have to go some to beat better than Kobe steak in Japan. I
3: just
0: want elk. Now I feel like a road trip is in order so we can try all the steaks and figure out which one is the steak. Yeah, so please
4: make sure you...
1: So please make sure you support the podcast.
2: Yeah, so, you folks, you folks uh, Jim,
0: <laughs> thank you. So, Jim, uh, JL Curtis, as his publishing name is, how can listeners and viewers find you?
2: Uh, yeah, do I really want to? Oh, uh, again, you're looking at me. OLDNFO.org is my blog. That also has a link to my books. Uh, They can find me on Amazon under J.L. Curtis. And I'm on Facebook as Jim Curtis. And I don't do Twitter. I don't do uh, much of that crap. I do MeWe. Uh, Again, Jim Curtis. And that's about it. And then a few of us do a... Oh, uh, <laughs> I have a YouTube channel, OLDNFO. Uh, we do a live stream a couple of times a week, which usually goes even further off the rails than this it interview does, It did. doesn't
3: even start on the rails. Well, we're a
2: block from the rails, <laughs> so we're close. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I enjoy hearing from readers. I do appreciate the feedback. And uh, I will echo what JR said about please give us honest reviews. Uh, That is critical. And the 50 and 100 reviews on Amazon are really break points for the books to succeed. So that's all I've got.
0: All right. What about you long log? How can they find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Yeah.
3: Hmm. Um, I've got a blog for certain reasons. I can't blog at it much right now. That'll change in the future. My Amazon page is uh, D Law Dog because Amazon is stupid and won't take metronyms. (laughs) Um, I've got a Law Dog page at Facebook. That's my public page. And I have an uh, Ian McMurtry page um, for folks that uh, I've I've met. If I don't know you, you send me a friend. I don't know you, and I, I won't. And There's a lot of privacy. Yeah. Um, other than that, I can appreciate find me at a con. that, say again, I said I can really appreciate that. Yeah, other than that, find me at a con. Yeah, um, I do Liberty Con whenever they're in, in the paint, I'll do Liberty Con. Uh, looks like I'm getting dragged to Tulcon in Tulsa this year. Yeah. Um, and I, I usually let uh, folks know which cons I'll go to, and if you don't mind scraping me off the ceiling after introducing yourself, I'll. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> now, I'm usually two cocktails deep before we do the No Shit There I Was panel at Liberty Con. Seriously, because I in front of I, that people, I can't
1: talk unless I'm two cocktails deep. I think 90% of the room is at least two cocktails deep. <laughs> yeah, but not, Just out, saying. Of, not out of a sense of
3: self preservation. Uh, yeah, they don't let us, Navy
2: folks, on that panel. We have to do our own panel later at night
1: yeah
2: (laughs) that's
1: because you're all semen
0: and on that happy joke um (laughs) you can find us dear listener on our twitter at sf underscore fantasy underscore show sierra foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show you can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com again blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com we have a facebook group where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast be sure to comment when we post it on any questions you have and we'll make sure they see it to answer uh we also appreciate the feedback if there's things you want to see or your books you'd like us to review that's the place to do it or the email of course we have our website which is anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades uh you can support the show over over on anchor.fm as well, where you could set up a monthly reoccurring payment, much like a Patreon model. Again, that's anchor.fm backslash Blasters Tacky and Tech Blades. Or you could support the show on a one-time basis at buymeacoffee.com backslash author Jr. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author Jr. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I promise I will keep Doc Seska and Nick Garber duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders.
1: Never surrender. Never quit.
0: She would have said that sooner, but she's already intoxicated because you guys were nice to us in season one. <laughs> All right, Doc, bring us home.
1: Thank you for sending some of your precious time with us. Um, for Nick Garber, Jr. Handley, and myself, please, if you're having any of these issues, reach out. Find somebody to reach out to. If nothing else, you can reach out to one of us because we do understand this issue. Um and mental health is important, and that is my public service announcement. On to the rest of the list, where I get to razz Jr. because he loves pineapple on pizza, but is in denial. This was last year's Blaze podcast, and where we indulge our love nerd culture, cheesy jokes, torturing Jr. pineapple and pizza, and of course, all things sci-fi and fantasy, and anything that goes boom. <laughs>
0: All right, and on that note, she's wrong. Pineapple on pizza is Harrison. Pineapple pizza is great. Oh, no, it's not.